You're about to listen to Graham's review of today's El Clasico Real Madrid v Barcelona at the Bernabeu. This episode is free. If you'd like to access our entire archive of exclusive shows, it's time to become a socio. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter where you can instantly access five exclusive big interviews plus December's mini documentary on Gareth Bale. Okay, welcome to another big inside view. This is the classical debrief. The the whistle has just blown on a quite fascinating um, game at the Bernabeu, Real Madrid and El Barça three. It would have been hard to predict the, the scoreline at half time. I guess it was such a interesting tactical battle, but um, the way the game developed um, really kind of t- turned sour for for Zinedine Zidane and, and the way he he attempted to set his team up today. Well. Um I'm not only an honest man, uh, Martin. I'm I'm not a vengeful man. So first of all, let's let's let Graham take his licks. Um, I I had imagined that that Barca's improvement in form in recent weeks might not be enough because I genuinely think that when Real Madrid are at their peak and um, when they're on full form, it, it's it's my opinion that they're a match for anybody, and I think there's a really good reason that they're, you know, Spanish and European and, and world champions. So um, the fact that um, Barcelona have gone to the Bernabeu and given Real Madrid a right good spanking, um, if anybody wants to have a little jab at me, then that's fair enough, I think. That's that's taking your licks. Secondly, um, I'm sending the bill to Zidane. And um, while your proposition is right, that, you know, there was a 45-minute a spell where it was um, never dry, because we took, we saw intelligent play. We saw um, two sets of very technically able players who'd been very well briefed about what they were supposed to do, and we saw at least, you know, one one glaring miss, two very good saves. And the first forty five minutes was what you and Neil often called setting the table. Um, I think it's a reasonable phrase. And um, frankly, I, I because I'd you know seen so many of the the Clasicos. Um, I wasn't in any way um, unclear that we could have drama in the second half. But what I was sure about at halftime was that the idea that Zidane had come up with um, wasn't right, wasn't working. um, And that for my money at halftime, not now retrospectively at the end of the um, game, was that that there was time for a change. Um, Not just of personnel, but in his ideology. And I think it's turned out to be a really bad day at Black Rock um, for Zidane. While I've been describing him um, during his time, what people have been telling me around the club and around the training ground is that the thing he did to transform a side that was um, beaten 4-0 in this fixture at the Bernabeu just immediately before... Um, he took over a couple of years ago. His transformation was about reinstalling enjoyment and contentment and happiness, round pegs and round holes, square pegs and square holes at the training ground, day in, day out. He, he didn't introduce a massive strategic overhaul. He actually said in public, my philosophy is that we'll always play front foot. My philosophy is that we'll always be daring. We'll always be attacking. We'll always be beautiful to watch. And while this wasn't his phrase about playground football or we'll score more than you, by and large, uh, Martin, that's what it's been. 
So to look at this today, where um, Zeran, first of all, has decided that it's, you know, it wasn't right for him um, to start bail. That's something I can understand. Um, Bale's game time, his training time has not been uh, spectacular enough to, to say start a classical, uh, give us 70 minutes, uh, don't break down. Brutally, um, I, I think that his idea of saying to Bale, come on and win this thing, although it hasn't worked, was was probably the right idea. Where I you know, completely fail to understand his concept was that in trying to choke the midfield, in trying to man-mark Messi, in relegating Isco, who I've heard nothing to indicate that Isco wasn't well or couldn't play, you know, he makes the bench. Isco, Isco had to start. Isco had to be the guy who, who broke tackles, who um, dragged bus on into positions they didn't want to be. And you can you can take a risk and you can say, what we'll do is we'll pair um, Kovacic and Casemiro, we'll block the centre of the pitch, which is where Leo Messi has been doing so much of his damage. We'll clog that area. We'll try and dog Messi around the pitch so that he never gets easy possession. And we'll allow Casemiro, who is um, far better footballer than the descriptions of him as a, as a kind of midfield policing street thug. He's a far better footballer than that. We'll allow him the opportunity to drift forward and maybe um, pin back um, PK to, to, to test Busquets and drag him with Casemiro. Conceptually, you go like, okay, I can see that. But when, by halftime, um, Kovacic is, is struggling a little bit and looking as if the pace of this you know, first start in the league this season was too much, when Barcelona are looking comfortable and when the, when the crowd are not being inspired, it's a lunchtime kickoff near to Christmas. One of your weapons at the Bernabeu is that it is, <clears throat> although the stats uh, with Barcelona suggest otherwise, it, it can be an intimidating place. It can be a 12th man. At halftime, that wasn't the case. They were um, booing the instant that Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo miskicked that left-footed chance right at the beginning of the game, which if he'd scored would have changed the complexion of things um, pretty dramatically in terms of confidence for Real Madrid. Whistling Benzema on the number of times when he was set up into open positions, i.e. he's still doing, Martin, the things that makes Karim Benzema special, but then not converting the openings, not making the passes. So the crowd was whistling. And in all honesty, Barcelona were looking relatively comfortable. It was an exchange of chances either way. But if you looked with a microscope at the way the tactic was operating, it, it began to seem to me to be halftime bail, halftime Isco, certainly not no change, halftime Asensio. And if you want to just take a step back from the actual game, I've been um, one, I was very critical of Florentino Perez in his, in his, who's the sports director? Well, it's me which is what he openly says to people. I, I don't think that the president should be the sports director. They sign well because over a number of years now, they've allowed Zidane, even before he was coach, even before he was Carlo Ancelotti's assistant, to make a lot of the signing decisions. That's now not something that he can be doing as the first team manager, coach. But I, I don't want to be hypocritical because in the summer, it, it impressed me that they were willing to trust Vallejo, that they were willing to invest time and money in recuperating Llorente instead of maybe selling him or letting him go another year on loan, that they were willing to invest money in Ceballos, uh, Borja. Well, okay, fine. But when it came to the crunch, I, I don't expect any of them to be running the team by now. 
That's wrong. But if you look at the equilibrium of the sales of James, the letting go of Pepe, the sale of Morata, the failure to get Mbappe, and a failure to get a replacement for Mbappe. And then you look at the green shoots, and you see that Vallejo didn't make the bench, Llorente didn't make the bench, Ceballos didn't make the bench. Somebody who uh, has made a real um, impact this season whenever he's played has looked far more ready than Vallejo or indeed Llorente. Borja doesn't make the bench. You begin to say, well, by midway through this season, these green shoots don't have to be running the team. They don't even have to be dominating the bench. But the fact that none of those guys even make the bench and players who, I, I, frankly, what I'm saying is that if you, if you, for some bizarre reason, if Zidane has fallen out with Isco, a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, Isco looked a little bit leggy. I'll give you that. But recently, no. Um... The fact that none of them were available to add anything um, to this particular match at a crucial time of the season doesn't look particularly good. And I think, Martin, truthfully, there was, and it's not Monday morning quarterback after a defeat. At halftime, it looked searingly obvious that the idea needed freshening up, probably changing, and that Barcelona in midfield needed to be tested by being pushed back rather than contained at home by the Spanish, European and world champions opting to contain at home. And I'll, I'll close by saying there is a phenomenon going on here which affects Real Madrid far more um, than Barcelona. If I'm not wrong, I think Barcelona have won something like two of their last six or two of the last five Clasicos at home. Madrid have lost, I think, five out of their last seven at home. Each of these two teams is is far more comfortable playing cagely, playing a little bit of rope-a-dope away from home where their fans are not putting pressure on them and then going, bang, now we'll do um, what we what we know we can do. Now we'll punish, we'll, 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 we'll reach for the gaps, we'll accelerate. And this is becoming a fixture where, although the stats aren't exactly even, you know, Barcelona do slightly better at home than Real Madrid have been doing at home in the Barcelona it, it, it is, it's becoming a fixture which is easier to win away from home, which for generations, um, going back into the history of this fixture, wasn't the case. I mean, we're going to segue into talking a bit more about that midfield battle, but you know, the point you make about Kovacic is interesting. I thought it was quite obvious even before half time that he was labouring physically. Um, to not make that change at half time, and then the first goal comes, I think, is about the 54th minute. And if anyone watches that goal back, um, you can see Kovacic um, almost giving up on chasing Rakitic. Yeah. He looks, it looks he, absolutely just at that stage. Now, I appreciate, appreciate he's marshalling Messi uh, behind him uh, and he's trying to keep an eye on that situation. But when a guy is running straight through the middle of the yeah. pitch directly at your goal, you have well, to take some level of responsibility. The guy just looked for anybody who, who hasn't watched the goal. Let, let's back up a little bit and say that you know what happens is that there's there's a lovely interception of the ball um, by Sergio Roberto, and, and at, at a stage where Busquets then with Cruz right on his back, Busquets shows uh, Sangfroid holds the ball, shuffles, turns draws Cruz in. And what happens initially is that Modric goes to sleep. Okay, Casemiro is the one who's made the run. That I, I, I don't want to see Casemiro criticised for that because the, the inclusion of Kovacic in the team was that Casemiro should be allowed to make that run. So the responsibility at that stage lies on the fact that the, the two Croats are, are available to, to pick up, to mark, <clears throat> 
to tactically foul if necessary. You know, they can staunch the flow, but they don't because, number one, Busquets is released and Rakitic's move is really good and Modric fails first. Modric doesn't react, doesn't anticipate what Rakitic is going to do and then doesn't react quickly enough. At which stage... When Rakitic is, and this is point two, let's let's segue out of this into Rakitic. At that stage, I, I buy your argument completely that it was really clear that Kovacic, you know, was pecking. <laughs> was, was it's a very Scottish word. He was struggling a little bit, blowing out of his backside. But I think tiredness. You know, the listeners know that tiredness doesn't just affect your your physical ap- application or your athleticism. It affects your decision making, and this is only a, a you know a reading. I, I I don't claim this is fact, and maybe you, you're right. He just couldn't. What it looked to me like Kovacic, tired as he was, knackered as I think he was, made a bad decision. You see him checking over his shoulder and saying, "Oh, my job's messy." Uh, you know, uh, uh, where is Messi? And he kind of gravitates a little bit in the messy space, thus making a you know a fundamentally wrong decision. I think in that we know that. Rakitic's movement goes on then um, to, to create the goal and, and that the idea had to be that instead of allowing Rakitic to find the ball right to Sergio Roberto who's run up, who's supported and who gives an assist pass of a similar quality uh, to last weekend against Deportivo La Coruña when he, when he received from Alex Vidal centres from the right and Suarez scores this time he's far closer in he bisects the defenders it's a really beautiful pass Suarez finishes first time but at the point at which um, Kovacic decides, I'll stick with my man. If he goes in and, and, and closes Rakitic and Rakitic then slips it off his right foot to the free Messi, maybe Kovacic is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. But what I saw was a guy going, ah, I, I know what Messi does. He, he kind of goes along, you go to the ball and then Messi gets it and you look stupid. And, and maybe he had no good option in that situation. But certainly, number one, Chris not closing down Busquets or being able to, and Modric going to sleep. I thought they were the absolute key points at which a tiring player either, in your words, couldn't keep up or, in my view, made a tired decision, just mentally computed badly. But let's move into point two, because you talked about the you know, the midfield. I, I, I thought that at the beginning, what you could, if you wanted to try and justify Zidane's ideal, which looked a little bit defensive, which looked a little bit... Um, conservative at home for a, a talented team that could have got at uh, Barcelona a good deal more. But if you wanted to justify it, I think um, Kovacic not only trying to smother Messi and go with him and make life difficult for him, Rakitic played in the middle because Sergio Roberto pushed up from right midfield. And in recent weeks, any scout for Real Madrid will have seen um, two games, uh, a European game, at home to Sporting Lisbon, where Busquets is rested and Rakic, Rakic plays in the middle, and he's very, very good. He plays his pivoti, and to be quite honest, Martin gives probably his performance of the season. He does. He 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 mimics Busquets exactly. And other clubs must find it unfair that when Busquets is such a brilliant uh, computer in the middle of the park, an organizer, um, a tempo setter, superbly experienced and somebody who'll just give release passes into space for the runners that can open up tight marking schemes. When he's out, other clubs must find it unfair that Rakitic, who's had a moderate time over the last couple of seasons, asked to, to run up and down to cover gaps such that his creative abilities haven't been as powerful as in his initial seasons. He steps into the Pivotti position 
And he's exceptional, absolutely exceptional. Did it against Deportivo La Coruña last week when Busquets was rested to avoid a fifth yellow card. And lo and behold, Busquets has had an influential game, a better second half than first half, it has to be said. He was one of the ones that in the first half managed adequately, but looked crowded. Maybe he was just figuring the game out, waiting for others to tire. At any rate, resting Busquets last week, playing, playing rackets in the middle for the second time in a couple of weeks worked. And and clearly made Zidane believe it will be useful to crowd that midfield area because Rakitic and Busquets will play tightly together and Roberto will move up from right back to, to fill the Rakitic's nominal right midfield slot. So you can begin to unpack Zidane's idea. And in, and in, and in football, you, you, your strategy, I suppose, I mean, shoot me down now, Socios or Martin, you, you, I, sometimes maybe you, you might argue your strategy can be you know outright wrong from the beginning. There has to be an argument that strategy is only right or wrong based on what results it gets. And, and it might have been that at the, at the outset that if they'd weathered the first half and that Kovacic had done his job and Zidane had made the right changes, probably two of which were, were screaming out. One was bail for Benzema and the other one was probably Kovacic off. And either they score Asensio on. I think, they, I think at halftime that probably gives us a, a, a different scoreline, whether a different result or not. Certainly a different second half performance from Real Madrid. But Rakitic, I think, was one of the extra impetuses beyond simply man-marking Messi for uh, Kovacic to get his place at the beginning. And it, it didn't work. And, and the most damning thing you and I both agree is that Zidane should have read that it wasn't working at a far earlier stage. I mean, I think we're both um, signed up to the Sergio Roberto Appreciation Society. And, and I think if you're going to play that type of system with uh, Rakitic a bit more central, then Sergio Roberto becomes an even more important player because he does give you that creative outlet on, on the right-hand side. And um, I thought he had a fantastic game. I just love watching watching him move. I love watching him play. Um, you can tell he just understands the game so well um, and you know played a, a crucial part in, in the first the first goal I, mean, I just thought um, he, he actually intercepts the cruise pass initially and then he's up the other end 30 seconds later to play an incredible square ball no, it's, it's right what you're saying you know there's a at times like this your uh, your memories kick in and it, there's a certain romanticism because uh, not only was I at his Champions League debut at this stadium in 2011 he comes on Partly as a time-wasting idea in the Champions League semi-final of 2011. He's very young. He's never trained with the first team. He's on the bench. He thinks to make up numbers. You know, I interviewed him recently. He he, he talked about being literally shy to mix with uh, Busquets and, and Messi and Xavi. Um, he, he talks. He talked to me about being out in the touchline and literally doing a, a James Finlayson, Laurel Hardy double take with the eyes bulging when, when Pep Guardiola points to him or, or tells an assistant to point to him and he gets called to go on and, and, and play in the Champions League semi-final, having never spent time training or working out with the first team. And and therefore to see him back at a stadium that he he ripped apart last April with that lung-busting run, again released by Busquets um, back in April from the corner flag, um, and he runs three quarters of the pitch and sets up Gomez, who sets up Alba, and Messi scores his 500th goal. To, to see him doing that again, and the intelligence of his support run for the goal, but I, I, I really like 
you know, what you say, um, that he occupies space, he times his positioning, he has a he has a technical touch. He's a very skilled player, and I've used the phrase again, but I think it's so adequate that um, when Luis Enrique began to justify Sergio Roberto's, you know, inclusion in in the team um, during Lucho's reign, he, he talked about football intelligence, and you or I is telling you what Luis Enrique judged was a reason not to let Sergio Roberto go. And it is a little bit odd in retrospect that maybe not gigantically odd that a young Sergio Roberto didn't get a massive amount of time um, in Pep Guardiola's last and and rather difficult, um, torrid last season when players like, for example, Teo and Cuenca began to get slightly more opportunities. What is strange is that during the the Tito Villanova and Tata Martino eras. Roberto was very much re- regarded as a fringe player. There were um, Catalan writers and fans who were like, okay, you know, close but no cigar, fella. You've been trained in La Masi, you can see your Cantarano ideas, but you're not going to make it. But as the as the demands upon him have, have increased, as his game time has increased, he's become a model for the question marks that need to be over the current Football Barca youth system at Football Club Barcelona and the players who get pushed out. Are they de facto not good enough or are they de facto good enough and intelligent enough and well-trained enough but not given enough first-team time? And I think that's a, a really fundamental question. Everybody understands it at their own club. You see players going and succeeding at other sides when, for one reason or another, personality clash, timing, desperation. Um, I know that Barcelona fans think like this about Grimaldo, who's playing in Portugal at the moment, at full-back, and, and stood out in La Masia as somebody who should have played a, you know the, the larger part of his life at the Camp Nou in the first team. He, he, he didn't, he got pushed out. And Sergio Roberto is the model whereby if there's a review under this current board or when there's a new board, when the sports director begins to have a trickle-down effect into La Masia, Sergio Roberto is the absolute key. And you look at him and you go, um, give promising players more time. And the likelihood is if they've been well-trained, they will reward you. I mean, I think another key component to, to winning these games is keeping all your players on the park. And again, um, we're looking at, I think, the third red card in four classicals uh, for yeah. Real Madrid. Um, I mean, that that's something that, that they really have to address going forward, surely. The red cards are Sergio, Roberto, uh, pardon me, um, Sergio Ramos last April um, when he simply loses any degree of control over his over his, you know, Bruce Lee fantasies and and tries to kung fu kick Leo Messi just out of pure frustration. And then there's a Sergio Ramos-style hole into which Barcelona punched that last run um, via Roberto Gomez and Alba and Messi's free to shoot at the edge of the box and score the winner in his 500th goal. You know, Real Madrid didn't didn't lose because of the next red card, which is Ronaldo's, which was hugely unfair, but it's it is another red card at the Camp Nou, Super Cup first leg. Top off to celebrate the goal, booking, falsely accused of a dive under Umtiti's tackle. Um, 
second booking sent off, pushes the referee. They win that nonetheless, score a third goal when, when Ronaldo's off the pitch. But today, um, you know, it's it's very clumsy the, the way that they allow the, the goal to happen. And there's a judgment moment when, again, it's, it's Busquets, who's, you know, whose contribution might be eclipsed a little bit by Sergio Roberto, by the controversy over certain refereeing decisions, by the fact that, you know, Suarez has done well, Messi scored again. All these things that it's 3-0 may obscure the fact that Busquets in the second half has had a, a stellar performance. And it's his rob of the ball um, where he gets back, nicks it off Casemiro. Pique, you know, Pique does something that Pep Guardiola would, would hug and kiss him for. Um, it looks to the naked eye an incredible risk at 1-0 up in a classical that if you win, you've tied up the league because I think they have. And your centre-half leaves behind an under um, undercooked centre-half in Vermaelen who hasn't had a lot of game time, has played well recently, doesn't have tremendous pace, is booked already, doesn't want to be caught out on his own if Real Madrid win this ball and break back. Piquet's rushing forward, but this was the, the Guardiola doctrine. Although, although Piquet said this in his genes, it, when, um, when his trainer um, at, at the youth team level, um, same trainer who's now at Manchester City at the uh, Rodolfo Borrell, at the um, academy, he, you know, Cesc, Messi and Piquet were playing together and Borrell's uh, expression was, ah, look, Piquet's put his knapsack and he's going for a little, a little wander again as, as Jerry would run up the pitch and try to score. And, you know, he still takes my jokes about him thinking he's a born goal scorer. And I think Piquet's gone up the pitch with the thought of a goal in his mind. But what he's done is he's broken the lines. He's um, added an extra player. He's given superiority of numbers. It's 3v2 in the midfield. And the three are Piquet, Paulinho and Messi. And the two are out of position. And when Piquet seeds the ball to Leo Messi, he keeps running. Now that's the point at which he's done the, the initial part of breaking the lines, giving superiority of numbers in the midfield. When Messi picks up the ball just inside the semicircle of the halfway line, Piquet continues his run, commits Varane. That exposes the fact that Carvajal has not followed his man. And, and and Messi's ball is is you know is brilliant by anybody's standards. By Messi's standards, it might be you know out for a Sunday drive, look at a nice countryside, but it's still a brilliant pass. The ball hits the, the you know the post. There's um, what's that the twenty sixth time that the ball's hit the post for Barcelona this season, and when it comes back out, Messi's there again. Refeeds Suarez. The ball comes in um, is is blocked, and Polino will hit it towards goal. Carvajal dives saves. And I have no criticism of the referee, but there, there's, it's clearly the case that the whistle goes, we could hear it, the whistle goes as the ball crosses the line. So it's the referee's choice. If he's on his game, he probably lets the goal stand without it being a penalty and there's no red card. Um, but it's a deliberate, the, the change in the rules about the red card situation in the penalty box is that it is still a red card for a deliberate, red, uh, deliberate handball. So he's right to say that's a red card offence and it's in his own either wit or judgment about whether he's quick enough to see the ball's going in, I don't have to make a decision here. Or if he says, um, I'd whistled, it had to be a red and a penalty because I'd called it for the ball cross line. I don't think it did. I think that then probably ensured that um, 
that the game wasn't going to go Real Madrid's way. Uh, 10 men and 2-0 down. The referee will take a, will get a looking at in, in, in the Madrid newspapers because the ball does go out of play for the third goal. Um, now, that means it's the assistant referee. It's the Lino's fault. He should have seen it. The ball did go out of play, in my view, before Messi uh, brings it back in. And, and and says to Marcel, I'm quicker than you. Ronaldo doesn't get to the front of the six-yard box quick enough to, to block or do anything useful. And the cutback falls to Vidal, who's been, you know, an outstanding disappointment at the at, at Football Club Barcelona compared to the football that we witnessed at, at Sevilla. But that's him helping make a goal last week, coming on in the Clasico um, as a Catalan and, and scoring the third goal. So um, discipline, yeah, I, I agree with you. And, and I, I don't have an easy way to explain it um, because each of the incidents, those three red cards and four Clascos, um, have been different. But going forward from this, I think it's an issue that um, Zidane had clearly spoken to Casemiro. When uh, Suarez tries to provoke uh, Casemiro into a, a booking offence just on the edge of the pitch in the first half you see Casemiro as he gets up his fist is curled like he's a proper street fighter and that, that right hand is in a fist and he calms down and as he's pushed and tormented by the players around him he's like I want no part of this they knew that the idea was stay on the fucking pitch uh, it's just that for one reason or another again they couldn't Graham we can't have a classical debrief without specifically focusing on Messi um, who produced several moments um, in that second half obviously his work in the lead up to the second goal finishes emphatically from the penalty spot by the way it didn't seem like there was uh, there was any doubt that that was going to hit the back of the yeah. net after last <laughs> week exactly exactly so it reminded you of that classical the 4-3 classical where he's asked to score two penalties and, uh, and that, that, I mean, that penalty was a thing of beauty because it was like you know, it was like UPS dispatched to its destination, wasn't it? Which is the, it's the top corner. Um, I, I, I never use the phrase "I've run out of things to say about Leo Messi" because I haven't. What I do, what I do think is that there are a lot of words that have been used to describe Cristiano Ronaldo's very clever reinvention of himself when he began to realise that either because of what his hunger told him he wanted to do, or because of a change in his athleticism. That idea about racing 60 metres and beating, dribbling past three or four players three or four times a game, two or three times a week. There was a stage a couple of seasons ago when he realised, no, I'm a finisher. I'm a striker. Supply me and I'll score you goals. If I score you goals, we'll win trophies. I think when you look at him sitting as European champion with Portugal, European champion with Real Madrid, Spanish champion and world champion, and you look at his contribution to the majority of the big moments in that run, you just salute him. But probably a little bit less is made of Messi's reinvention. Xavi was the one who said, well, when I retire, Messi will do my job. That was the first time I heard that idea that Messi might want to drop deep. And at the time, it seemed ludicrous because he'd hated playing on the wing as a kid. He'd then been moved in um, by Guardiola to to this false nine, and, and it exploded his his career, his achievements, Barcelona's era, you know, a false nine connecting with the golden era of Xavi and Iniesta made it extra fertile. And and had they all been of the same age, had Xavi and Iniesta been the same age as Messi, Barcelona would probably still be dominating the world. It's to every other club's great good fortune that <clears throat> Xavi and Iniesta got a little bit old. The thing I'm getting to is that Messi's 
ability to play in midfield doesn't mean that he would necessarily have the appetite or the patience to be the guy who's supplying the passes. And I know in a lot of the games against lesser opposition, his idea of a forward pass, particularly left to Suarez or left to to, um, Alba, is to receive the return and score at the edge of the box. Fine, okay. But when you look at his, um, his ability to create today, principally for the second and third goals, it's a reminder that, that you need a different mindset when you are a record goal scorer. When you, um, you know, score, what's well, now, what, 526 or 27 all in for Football Club Barcelona. But he's fallen, I don't know, 15 or 16 goals behind Cristiano Ronaldo, with whom he was neck and neck in the Champions League all time scorers. It has to bug him a little bit. And, and last week against Deportivo La Coruña, I was at that game too. And, and you saw in the last 15 minutes, he was really frustrated after missing the penalty that he, he desperately wanted a goal. So today what we saw was technique. We saw patience. We saw brilliance. He was part of the way Barcelona opened up the game. But I admire him in the way that he's reinvented himself because I, I imagine there must be times, even when you win and when the team knows the other points to you and you're closer towards a trophy. If you're Leo Messi, I'm absolutely sure there must be moments where he goes, God, that used to be me scoring. Not today, but I'd say it's it's at least a six out of ten performance, Martin. No it's all right, sorry. I'll turn that six upside down. <laughs> Maybe it's a nine out of ten. There you go. That's better. Um Graham, thanks very much for your time. I think it's now time for you to head to the promised land in the northeast of Scotland. Um you've got a plane to catch, we'll let you go. Um just want to thank uh, everyone for listening this year. This is the last big inside viewer twenty seventeen and, and we'll be back in the new year with more fun. Happy Christmas everybody. Thanks for being there. Next month's social big interviews with Roberto Di Matteo. Sign up now and that full episode will drop into your app on January the 1st. Plus you'll get all our archive shows, including five exclusive big interviews, plus this month's first special mini-documentary on Gareth Bale. Head to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.